Hello, plebs. I'm happy to present co-host of Bitcoin Kindergarten Wynikus on this edition of Children of the Corn. This was the first time we have spoken live outside of DMs, although I have listened to him on several occasions, including today's episode of Simply Bitcoin. I came away thinking that Wynikus is a fascinating Bitcoin philosopher. He's very generous with his thoughts and views. I hope you enjoy it. Allow myself to introduce myself. I never thought that you would love me the way that you do. I never thought that you would love me half as much as I do. You say you want to know everything about me. Where do you go? You say you couldn't live your life without me. Well, just I don't know. But if you want it, girl, you got it. Children of the Corn, Bitcoin Webcast. <clears throat> Today, I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to interview a man that goes by the handle at Wynikus. Wynikus is a co-host of Bitcoin Kindergarten, and vets on Bitcoin Twitter will be familiar with his name. Wynikus, welcome to Children of the Corn. I'm sorry for assuming your gender, sir. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here, man. I'm excited to see what we're going to talk about. Well, I heard something about a Bitcoin crash today. Did something happen to the price? Um, not that I know of, but I'm getting text messages from people that usually are only interested in the price. So I guess that's a reminder to me of what's actually going on. But mm -hmm. this is about the fourth time I've gone through a, a price drop of this magnitude. So I'm pretty used to it at this point. Fourth time? I think, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe me too. Because there was like a double bear market the last time, wasn't there? Yeah, we had, we went up to 19K, then down to three, and then it went to 14 or something at some point, then back to three, and then again it went up, and then the whole COVID thing back to three. So, yeah, this is the fourth, I guess, 69 to 20, or who knows how low it's going to go, but yeah, it's. Yeah. I'm unfazed. I know how it works, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Emotionally, I'm, I'm amazingly good. It gets easier. Um, it seems like a big drop, but I was looking at it today and it's like 67%. And the last couple have been like 85%. So um, this yeah, isn't even got, all that bad. We got more to go. <laughs> Probably. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, the people texting me are like the people that didn't listen to my advice in the first place for the most part. Yeah. It's, it's strange how people care and they're watching the price and know how invested you are but they don't do anything themselves they just like to comment on it so it's yeah kind of how people operate <laughs> you can lead a horse to water um but i saw you on simply bitcoin today just randomly by chance that was interesting and i was like i was i'm about to talk to him so it's a pretty small world in bitcoin yeah i, I love that show um I've, I've known nico for a while so i, I got my in there <laughs> so I, sometimes I show up, I've been getting better as a guest and all that. And uh, it's, a, it's just a fun time for me. Yeah, those guys are amazing. I, I heard you tell Nico that it was going to be a Bitcoin kindergarten takeover and it made me laugh. <laughs> well, yeah, it was Optimus and I on the episode. So it was basically Nico as, as a guest. At, <laughs> <that one. laughs> what, what is Optimus wearing that orange thing? Is that like CGI or is that really a mask? It's, it's an actual mask. I mean, I, I think it's pretty ugly, but <laughs> he's, he's scared to show his face online. So he's like a generic Magneto. Yeah. If, if you want to meet Optimus, got to do it in person. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going on that show in a couple of weeks and, and, uh, I went on it once before and it's pretty intimidating. Cause they ask me about stories that I'm not really following. Um, and they'll be like, what do you think about Binance going down? Uh, or, or what do you think about shitcoin X? And I don't know, really know how to reply except saying, well, that sounds pretty bad guys. Uh, but maybe the yeah. Binance guy still has a big head or something, but that's all I know about Binance. I'm like super out of touch with like world events and political things and that show tends to cover a lot of what's happening in in those areas so yeah. whenever that's for my opinion i'm just like listen I'll, I'll give you what i think but i'm definitely not in touch with what you're talking about and i'm just here to like troll and give funny shit post type answers so <laughs> i i don't know whenever it's the meme review i'm i'm excited but the other stuff i mean i could try to give my two cents <laughs> yeah that's how i feel too but i'm glad they keep up on the topics because it's the only way that i know what's going on at all um they've sure. got they've got like almost 5,000 subscribers. So there's going to be about four people listening to this. So you're kind of slumming it today. <laughs> well, I, I prefer the four people that are big Frito fans than the 5,000 maybe shit coiners. Who knows? <laughs> um, so you and I, we talked a little bit on DMs and this is our first live conversation. Um, I started this kind of as an excuse to talk to people I wanted to get to know. So I guess it's working. Um, yeah. It, it's working both ways. I, I mean, I remember uh, you actually ordered like a couple Bitcoin kindergarten shirts for the first batch we made. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, like I, I, Pirate came on the show, Pirate Beach Bum, and sure. brought you up and just had incredible things to say about you. So I was just like, oh, shit, this guy seems pretty interesting. So this is cool that we're talking now. <laughs> I love Pirate. He, he's pretty real. Um. And I, I think we started talking again because I reached out to you because I like the quality of your shirts and I was trying to, you know, get, get some made for myself and I wanted to know where you got your supply from. Um, so speaking of that, what are some of your favorite pieces of Bitcoin swag? Man, definitely, definitely love the stuff that, that we put out with kindergarten. Um, another thing I've been wearing a lot is the Matt Odell Citadel Dispatch hats. I don't know if you've seen those around. But I was, that was my daily driver for like a good six months on my last trip um, until I turned it from black to like a, a disgusting brownish gray. So I had to toss that one and actually saw him in Miami and I, I got a new one. <laughs> oh, but, cool. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have too much Bitcoin swag, to be honest. I have a shirt that says HODL across the, the chest. So maybe when it's a good day, I'll, I'll rock that one to let people know. But, do you guys have anything for sale now for Bitcoin kindergarten? Um, not, not, uh, not really. We have a few pins left, but yeah, we're, I don't know. We, we definitely need like another conference or something to get that together. The, the, the big problem is that is that I'm never really like at home. So I'm always backpacking and stuff. So I, I can't really like manage that at the moment. Yeah. So, I want to dig into that with you today. For sure. Um, so I want to start with the cliche request to describe your own Bitcoin rabbit hole story in as little or as much detail as you'd like. Yeah, I mean, basically, the oh, it, it, you never really know what it is or dismiss it the first few times you hear about it. So that kind of happens with me. And I don't know what really got me into it, just maybe throwing a few bucks here and there into it. Um, I, I went to this Miami Bitcoin hackathon in 
2014 after I went to a coding boot camp. So that was like where I got exposure to it. But the people that were part of that hackathon weren't really doing a good job explaining it to me, kind of going over the technical side of things. And um, then the whole like 2017 bull run got me into it just from like the number go up standpoint. Then you start kind of like going down the rabbit hole as far as reading about about it from I don't know, many different aspects you know there's like the political side of things the energy side the philosophical side and I had to kind of get my hand held more on the like history of money side of things property of money and all these other facets that are not necessarily related to like how the protocol works and that's what really piqued my attention mm-hmm. so that's kind of like the gist of it and then I always had the idea that like Bitcoin was the king and all this stuff. But, you know, I did shitcoin a little in, in that cycle and got wrecked for sure in, in some trades and realized the whole like Bitcoin Zen, you got to hold patience, you know, then the, with more time, more studying, you just become more and more confident in your decisions and you kind of kind of understand the playbook at that point. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is like finding other people that have gone through the same kind of thing. A lot of people are learning that lesson the hard way right now. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if you've discussed it on previous episodes of yours, but I'm, I'm pretty curious to know your story because I I know you're in medicine and all that. So where did you find the time to kind of like go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole on your end? Um, I, I told it on Stoa over the winter, but, um, it was, I I discovered it in like 2013 and I had been working for a few years, but I was basically broke and just starting to make money. So we, I I started getting into like the stock market and it was a time when if you bought stocks, you were basically winning because the stock market was hot. So it's not like you were smart, but it made you think you were smart. And I learned about Bitcoin through the Motley Fool and it was back before I think they got on the side of the state and started dismissing it. And uh, it was the beginning of the, the, the 13 bull run. And when it went up, it was all exciting. And then um, it ran up from around 400 where it was when I was started getting into it to like 1200. And I thought I was a genius and then, you know, crashed to sub 200 and I thought I was an idiot. And to be honest, I was out on Bitcoin at that point, and I was waiting for it to get back to like $900, which was like my price point getting in just so I could sell it and declare uh, a victory because I broke even. And then it just failed to do that. So um, I didn't get back into it till 2017. It was like, I remember January like 1st, 2017, it, it broke a thousand again. And I realized that it wasn't going to die. And I've kind of been back in like hardcore since that time. But to be honest, I, I had lost faith before that time. <laughs> and when it went down in 2017 at the end there, when it went from like 19 down to three, were you just kind of already used to it in a way or like, how did yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. That second time was a lot easier. Um, and it was an emotional kick because it was the first time I actually had some real money and it really like, it, it, it wrecked you again, kind of uh, emotionally, but not nearly as bad as the first time. And now I don't really feel anything, which is interesting. And I think that um, partly it's because uh, I'm, I'm still up. I think that, to be honest, I think that has something to do with it. I think it's easier to deal with if, if you've, 
you're still winning. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, partly I think it's the experience of just going through it and knowing that's what Bitcoin does. And it's interesting that this, this is kind of like the bear cycle. Like it's almost like I was in denial that we were even in a bear cycle, but now it seems pretty clear that we are. And what's interesting about it is you still feel like emotionally pretty bullish about the whole narrative, which is different, I think, for me than the last two. Yeah, I mean, if you've been around long enough, which you have, then you kind of just go back to those times where from like, who knows, 7,000 to 8,000, you have like these crazy like, whoa, we just went up $1,000. And now <laughs> we have these like $10,000 movements. And I don't know, you just kind of have to reflect on on the earlier times. Like, it's funny, because I talk about how, like when normies message me about price all the time, it's kind of like a reminder of, of like the signal. And I think back to times like where you break 10,000 and you're getting these messages like, oh my God, like, dude, how you feel right now? Like, go celebrate. And now yeah. we're like well above that. And then it's the same people messaging you like, yo, you probably feel terrible. Like, you know, all these things. So you, it's just perspective. But yeah, I mean, you always think about those times where you could have stacked more and it's like, shit, in 2021, my DCA was going and I could have just waited. But it's impossible to play those games. So you really with time, those feelings kind of go away. Yeah. When it broke 10,000 for the first time, I remember there was a big celebration. I remember Samson tech, uh, tweeting about it and it felt like we had won at that point. And may maybe that is the point of no return where we did win. I guess time will tell. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> um, so like, what's your work slash educational background? Well, I've always been kind of the person that hated school but I did go through it so I, I was always like entrepreneurial and creative and things like that I, I got a degree in like business law and entrepreneurship but it was pretty useless to me um, and the jobs that I could have gotten into out of college I was just like this was would make me miserable in a way so I've always been kind of like putting off accepting job just jobs just for the money Mm -hmm. And from there, I, I figured like, okay, I should probably learn how to code because these ideas that I have, I can actually like execute them myself, or at least I have an understanding on like what it takes to build these things. And I was like pretty into fantasy sports at the time. Me too. So, yeah, I'm like pretty into it. So I don't know, maybe we should start a league together, a Bitcoin one. That but, would be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, from there, I went to coding boot camp and I ended up starting this like little fantasy sports app but i realized i needed to learn more so i actually interned for this like local fantasy sports startup in miami it ended up flopping um and i, I kind of just got into like the whole product side of of the tech world so um i pretty much consult these days as far as like product development and uh like outsourcing work to to other programmers i do a lot of like ux ui design and things like that but i also make memes for simply bitcoin so i i prefer to tell people at first when people ask me like oh uh like what's what's your background or what do you do for work i always try to say like oh i make memes or <laughs> i own a meme studio i try to like jazz it up <laughs> and see people's reactions it's more important than people think yeah um, it's pretty much software yeah, I apologize. I forgot who said it on Twitter the other day, but somebody made the point 
that people on the side of evil don't make memes because for a meme to be effective, it needs to elicit some truth. That was Gigi on Bitcoin Kindergarten. Was it? Oh, maybe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, awesome. yeah. I listened to that. That was that was a really great episode. I don't I don't get the GGs on my show. Yeah, I mean, he he actually we've been talking to him for over I don't know six months to a year, and asking him to come on the show, and he he was always like, yes, yes, anytime I will show on show up on any Bitcoin podcast. So if you reach out to him, he'll he'll make the time eventually to come on he he he's an awesome dude oh yeah i like his uh philosophies it's, it's very interesting every every single one of his shows there's something there's a new nugget in there um going back to your education like if you were learning about like business law and business development i imagine that that's got to be like frustrating when you dig into that and you realize that you just have to learn to leverage being a middleman to be successful in business in the fiat world i, I don't know if you came to that conclusion but when i'm trying to make medicine work when I, when I tried and failed with my own private practice to make medicine work it, it became frustrating because the business really kind of came down to that what do you think about that yeah I mean I feel like I've always been kind of the the person that I wanted to start his own thing and had these kind of ambitions of like oh I want to build these empires and products and all this stuff so I necess I wasn't really trying to climb like the corporate ladder and things like that and I think uh, from very, very early on, it, it was more just these foundational principles of like not necessarily valuing money as much as time. Mm -hmm. And with Bitcoin, that's just amplified to the max. Because mm -hmm. before I was definitely like still into that whole business, like hustle porn mentality, like, oh, I'm going to be at the office all day and all this stuff. Um, and now it's more just like, I want to enjoy as much time as I can. And how am I going to do that? Like without having to basically fold into the fiat world, you know? That sounds like something pirate would say. Um, <laughs> I think it was Gigi that I could be wrong. I think he made the point that Bitcoin is time. And I think what's happening in the fiat system is that the time's being devalued. You're not being rewarded for it. So time ends up becoming relatively more important to people because the money doesn't keep up with it yeah i i mean when i orange pill people now i always approach them in, with that angle it's like listen the money you're earning now is being devalued and bitcoin's like the best way to store your time in the future where you'll have freedom to spend and i just give like examples i like imagine somebody in venezuela that was working their whole life and they were successful and saving in bolivars and the government made some bad decision where your savings and all that time you spent working is gone. Like, yeah, that piques a lot of people's interest. And they're like, okay, yeah, you might have a point, but then Bitcoin crashes like it is now, and <laughs> they think you're crazy still. But yeah, um, I hopefully people will have gone down the rabbit hole enough to realize that hanging on is probably a good move right now. Um, it, I think that would be extremely hard. I know it's extremely hard if, if you don't really study it. Um, so what, what did your parents do? Um, funny enough, my dad is actually a private practice doctor. So, oh, wow. <laughs> also a physician. Yeah. Internal medicine physician. So, uh, I don't know why I never went down that route. I, I don't know, just more creativity, I guess on my end and 
I, I always felt uncomfortable being in like those hospital settings and things like that, being around sick old people. I mean, I, I respect people that do it. It's a very noble job, but yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> I mean, it should be. If you ever get a chance, send him a link to that. I, I wrote a Citadel article about doctoring in, a, in the fiat world. And I'd be really curious about what he thinks about it. Um, yeah. But I'll, um read that first. <laughs> but um I heard you on Phil's Fun with Bitcoin podcast. Um, and I was really excited because he doesn't do many episodes anymore. So I was happy that the podcast is still alive. Um, and you were telling him about your nomad lifestyle. And I want to hear more about this. I, I I found that very interesting and I came away wanting to hear more about it. Yeah, so it, it's kind of a necessity for me at this point. Um, but pretty much how I was telling you, I was basically trapped in this, like, I need to work a lot kind of mentality. Uh, I, I got burnt out and started realizing that wasn't really providing me the best upside. And rather than growing a business and doing all these like sacrifices for other people to grow it and things like that, I was just like, you know what, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take off. Um, I went to Asia for 14 months and I went with a budget, ended up spending half of that and realizing like how cheap it is to live there and live, live like well. So it makes a lot of sense for me in the way I live. I mean, I'm a single guy, like still pretty young. So I take advantage of minimizing as much responsibilities as possible. And then going to these like low cost jurisdictions where I can basically live without having to worry as much financially. And then that frees myself to have more time, um, more time, work less because I have to, I don't have to earn as much to live in these places. And meanwhile, I'm meeting awesome people. I'm trying new foods. I'm enjoying things daily that I wouldn't ever experience in a daily routine, you know? So like, it just, it comes with the territory and there are skill, there, there is a skill to it. Like it's not for everyone. And you do pick up little tricks along the way to be able to manage it, but it's, it's pretty awesome right now. And I don't know how long I'll keep doing it, but I'm pretty addicted to it. So it's amazing. Um, it sounds like it'd be really free, but really scary at the same time. Um, yeah. A lot of people are scared when they hear about it, even cause they're like, wow, it's so awesome what you're doing. Like, how do I do that? And I'm like, just go, you know, you don't, you, you don't realize how little money you really do need if you want to do it. But a lot of people get scared about like, Oh, what about if I come back and where's, where's my job going to be? And what, like they, they worry like too much about these I don't know, societal structures that they think they need to be in place with whatever it is like that their life path is. So I don't think those are things that they shouldn't necessarily worry about. Do you think that your job is um, special and that it allows you to be mobile like that? Or do you think that more people have that ability and they just don't know it? Um, a little of both because my job I, I basically freelance, so I take on projects and I can do it all. I could do it all on the go remotely. And I don't have necessarily to do things on a schedule base, more like projects. So I don't have to really show up and go to like be somewhere for somebody at a certain time. 
mm-hmm. which which is great because I can like bang out a project in two weeks and then I have like a few months off if it if it's not for things like that. But I meet tra- I meet people that are just natural bred travelers like nomads and they're not necessarily doing remote work. They're they're doing like volunteer type stuff. So they'll go and uh, work at a hostel in order for room and board. You know they'll they'll work on a farm. They they there's like websites. There's one called Workaway. There's another one that's for farming called Woofing, where you like can stay on people's farms and volunteer. So I know like people that will do things like that in order to just save enough and then keep going, which is really cool. I mean, I also meet people that just teach English, you know, things like that. A lot of teaching, everyone wants to learn English all over the world. So it's always in demand. When you go to a foreign country, do you tend to settle down and stay in one for a while or do you move around frequently? It's all based on feeling. So I definitely don't move around frequently as far as like every couple of days, because that just gets exhausting. Like you're always looking at where to stay, where to eat, like where to, what to do, where to go. Like if you're doing, if you're moving every few days, like you'll just get burnt out. So I always try to stay in places at least one to two weeks to kind of get a feel for it. Obviously if, I, if I'm not liking it, then I'll just keep moving, but there's times I'll stay in places a couple months and there's times where I'll come back to places. So it's all feeling. And the, 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 if you stay in places longer, then it makes things a lot easier. So I, that's one of those like tricks that makes me able to do this. How much of uh, different places culture do you find yourself assimilating? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say assimilating, but I would say I'm pretty good at like fitting in with other cultures and being respectful and, and learning new things. But I don't know, it's, I guess it's a talent of mine, (laughs) you know, just learning new languages or being able to eat everything. You know, I don't, I don't say the no to like any food, things like that. People, people really like are grateful for that when they're really happy to see that when there's foreigners that are showing interest. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah (laughs) what are some places that have the best food so i i love a lot of places and food is like really a a huge factor as far as controlling my movements because (laughs) i'll go to places just for food but a very underrated place is malaysia that i don't think many people know about their cuisine but it's pretty awesome it's it's uh like Indian Chinese kind of fusion, like these curries, it's really amazing. Um, Vietnamese food, I love. I love Asian cuisine, and then Mexican food is is incredible. Um, it's Thai, obviously, is great. Everyone everyone loves Thai food. I feel like Japanese food, so <laughs> it's all really good. That's very cool. Um, so, what was your epiphany moment that made you decide to dive into the nomad lifestyle? Um. My epiphany moment, I don't know if it was an epiphany, but a lot of it has to do with the cost. So the fact that I can live with very little cost and and like responsibilities makes things a lot easier. And then the, the big epiphanies or like learning lessons that I have that made me realize that I love doing this is that my routine is pretty variable on a daily basis. And I love doing things that don't really that like they just spontaneously happen. 
And when I'm in like my hometown, it's not, that's not the case. I'm already used to like the environment and the reactions and the daily plan. So the fact that I can wake up, meet a random person that day, and then they'll just like show me their town or I go hiking on this mountain one day, or, you know, like those, those, uh, variable moments make me feel more present because I just don't know what the next day holds. That's cool. So do you own property or have a home base? Um, I don't have a home base or own any property. My home base is pretty much Miami where I'm born and raised. So if I have to, I'll go like be with my family there. And I always like reset to go see them and things like that. Cause I am a, I'm a family guy. And one of my other bases is where I'm at right now, Costa Rica, where I have aunt and uncle and some cousins here. So <clears throat> I love it here now cause they got a farm and uh, I'm working there learning about that kind of stuff and surfing. So this is another base, but I definitely want to have like many bases where I, I have like a comfortable little town or city that I like to keep revisiting and might stay longer term. So I don't know. I would love to like go back to Vietnam for instance and things like that. So I don't know. I, I think, uh, I hope that many people can live in different places in certain, certain points of their life. But, uh, yeah, I don't like the idea of necessarily staying in one place, at least for right now. You never know. Anything could change. Listen, I'm sorry. I don't mean to ruin the flow here, but Zoom is making me upgrade to be able to continue the recording. So I'm going to pause it for a second. Sure, we can do a new one. No. I'm so sorry, Wynikis. I'm trying to run a professional operation here. That's, that's really embarrassing. Um, but I had to sign up for the monthly uh, Zoom plan, I guess, to do longer recordings. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Technical difficulties is, is a known thing to Bitcoin kindergarten. So it, it's on brand for me. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to continue about the nomad lifestyle. And I wanted to ask you uh, if Bitcoin has influenced your nomad lifestyle or has the nomad lifestyle changed your perspectives on Bitcoin? Um, a little bit of both for sure. It's influenced me in the ways that again, goes down to this like low cost lifestyle, like minimalistic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Cause at the end of the day with Bitcoin, if you're, if you're hodling, what you really are trying to buy is time and with time, everything gets fixed. So I'm basically just trying to buy as much time as possible. And through this way of living of basically only owning a backpack, uh, I can, I can try to delay as much, as much as possible until the time comes where you have to consider touching your Bitcoin stash to make these like big life decisions. So I'm trying to scrap as much as I can until that moment comes that moon moon day for me. But I mean, it's also impacted me in, in ways where I have more time to myself to appreciate really what it is that I enjoy on a daily basis. I have more time to listen to podcasts and make great relationships. And I do always have these thoughts, like, let's say like Bitcoin does what we expected to do. And now I have like wealth that many people don't. Part of me doesn't even want to change the way I live or 
you know, I, I kind of enjoy this, uh, like scrapping mentality because I, I feel like more present when I'm put into under like uncomfortable situations. Like for instance, I'm just like smushed on a bus, like a public bus, school bus type thing in El Salvador. And there's like locals there and I'm the only foreigner and they're excited to see me and they're shaking my hand on the bus and all this stuff. And I would have never experienced that if I had like wealth and I was just like, oh, I'll just take a car or whatever, you know, just little things like that. Um, I don't know. I kind of also travel to be uncomfortable. So, you know, roughing it out in these hostels or, or rooms with like no air condition I didn't have air conditioning for a month in El Salvador and it's hot and humid here and I had a little fan blowing on me and like you you start to adjust really quickly and I don't know these little things like after the time goes by you really enjoy them so it's kind of weird it's kind of weird so I don't know like if if Bitcoin like didn't do anything nothing would really change too much for me other than I don't know I don't know. I feel like when the time comes, I'll know what to do, but I feel like maybe helping people will play a big part or educating in a way, you know, things like that. But yeah, it's, it, it gives you a lot of time to reflect on a lot of things. You're embracing a low time preference. Exactly. Uh, that's cool. Um, and the whole like borderless uh, sovereign individual thesis of going to where you're treated best. I mean, I'm not necessarily going to like more favorable governments, although in the last couple of years, it's kind of been that way with COVID, like going to Mexico and El Salvador where they weren't requiring anything for entry. Mm. Uh, it will be a lot easier in the event that like shit actually goes down and governments are being unruly and you kind of just have to pick your stuff up and go. Like mm -hmm. I'll definitely be most prepared for that kind of situation and I did even meet like people from Canada and Australia and in Mexico and El Salvador that were pretty much leaving everything behind to get away from their governments. So like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is real. Um, and you got to be as borderless as possible. I would say. Yeah. Phil and I have talked about how Bitcoin's like the ultimate monetary bug out plan. Um, I think borders are kind of overrated, but in your case, it sounds like, you're you're trying to find ones that are uh to your advantage yeah i mean we have to play with whatever cards are dealt to us yeah. so it's like just the system that we live in i always have these like ideas of like how people give significance to borders or if they shouldn't or if anyone should move freely but then part of me also kind of thinks about like cultures you know so how how does that impact cultures because if you go to like Japan, you know, they're pretty tough on their borders and they're, they have a pretty strong culture and I enjoy going to see the way those people live. So if everyone was just free to move around, then a lot of those things would kind of change. Like the mm -hmm. idea of like these traditions and cultures would be impacted, which I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's an interesting thought experiment. In your case, the borders are kind of a little bit protective because they're keeping other states out as much as they're keeping other people out. Yeah. I don't know, but maybe if everyone actually adopted Bitcoin, they wouldn't have to move around too much, right? So maybe these cultures will be preserved. Everybody could play under the same rules and not necessarily have to be as jealous of each other. Yeah, and you're not fleeing your country for more economic opportunity just because the mm -hmm. way that money works across the imaginary line over there is 
to your advantage. So yeah, I mean, yeah this stuff is real. Like you, you go to Central America, you you meet people that have crossed the border by foot and have gotten caught like many times and sent back home. And like I, I meet people, tons of people that have gone to the America for better opportunity and they're they're doing jobs that are not that great. They're working in like meat producing factories and they're landscapers at golf courses or whatever. And they, they do it. They work at IHOP. Like I've met people that have done all these types of jobs and they come back home after a decade or so, and they have wealth now, but they had to leave their family behind, everything behind, take risks, like cross the border. Mm. So, I mean, I, I never had to experience those kinds of things, but it's, it's definitely interesting meeting those people. Mm. Like they, they managed to work hard and build wealth despite like the fiat vector forces working against that, which is doubly impressive. Yeah. And um, myself included, like I, I hire a lot of developers that are in places like Ukraine and Mexico and these kinds of things, just because they, they have cheaper prices, but they're, they're offering the same kind of work. So mm-hmm. I mean, it, it works for them within their circumstances. Like they're, they're making a lot of money in, in their countries, but uh, be pretty interesting to see the whole job market kind of level out with bitcoin who knows if enough people adopt it (laughs) yeah um speaking of borders have you talked to katia or listened to her listen to her talk about her plan b passport business i've heard like a few of her things and it it's definitely interesting but not necessarily in my uh my like current time frame of of needs but the mm-hmm. whole idea behind it is definitely like the whole flag theory thing yeah it's five flags unique. like i don't know people with with real wealth and like trying to preserve it and evade taxes to the most that they could like these are constant things that they're thinking about so who knows when the time comes if that time comes like you never know what <laughs> what might happen and I realize I shouldn't be comfortable with just an American passport or something like that. So, I mean, she definitely put those ideas in my head mm-hmm. as far as needing another one or, but you're crossing borders now without obtaining other passports. So it's almost like you're arbitraging the different rule sets without the high expense of getting the passports, but, but maybe for the super wealthy, that, that, that's something that works for them. Um, yeah, I, I really I'm a big fan of Citadel 21 and, and what her and Hadlanat are doing over there. Um, it's a shame that Hadlanat's going through what he's going through right now. Um, with CSW. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not following it too much. I know I know he's going through a hard time, but I definitely love Citadel 21. Like those those articles are great. Great. I think they're also like really nice nicely written like easy to digest for the average person like you could tell that there's no bs or editing behind it and uh yeah i mean i I, i'm a big fan and a lot of people that i know have have contributed so maybe one day i i will too like it's be cool to be part of that it seems like you have a lot to say (laughs) um i i heard you talking about 29 dollar deals on international airfare is that true (laughs) uh 30 i spent 38 dollars on a flight from miami to el salvador 
That's insane. Like how do people find that and, and what does it take to take advantage of that kind of pricing? Well, it, it definitely depends where you live and where you're trying to go and things like that. But a lot of it has to do with the freedom of not having time, time, like constrictions, constraints. So I can pretty much decide like to leave, let's say to another country on a random Tuesday, three weeks from now, where the price is just like, well, it's like a lot lower than what it should, what it is on any other day. So like having that flexibility, flexibility really makes you like take advantage of these deals. But yeah, I mean, that, that El Salvador one was one that like really caught me by surprise. I think there was a lot of gang violence or something going on that week. So the prices might've dropped a lot. And a lot of times the cheap price, the cheap prices of flights dictates also where I'm going to go. Cause it's like, all right, like I'm going to try to spend as little as possible. And from leaving this country to go to that country is the cheapest. So I'll go to that country. So a lot of times that dictates my movement as well. Sometimes it pays to not watch the news. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I, it, it's crazy. Cause in these countries, well, when I was in Asia, there's no like any, there's no sense of danger, or any of that stuff. Like people are just really friendly. Like, you're not necessarily defensive in any, any way, but when you go to Latin America and these other countries, the American mentality is just like, Oh my God, be careful. Like El Salvador, it's so dangerous. There's gangs. And you know, you're in Mexico, you're in Colombia, like you got to be careful walking on the street and sure you should be always like aware of your surroundings. But then when you get there, the people are so nice, hospitable, friendly, like they want to invite you to their houses for dinner. They're, they're super stoked to meet you. And a lot of the like danger that people talk about are more on like a bigger scale, let's say like these like gangs or whatever. I don't think they're necessarily interested in just like messing with a tourist. And of course, like, sure, you can get in a bad situation where somebody will try to like mug you or whatever, but th that's very rare. And it could happen in any city in the US too. Like Miami is just as dangerous, <laughs> if not more walking around certain areas. And, you know, you, like, you know what neighborhoods to avoid. You're not going to go to the bad areas and you shouldn't be out late at night and getting into, you know, situations that can put you at harm. So I, I'm not the type of person that's going out to the club late at night and looking for drugs and things like that. So I really don't find myself in situations where, I'm going to get into trouble. And I mean, I, I've also been lucky and nothing has happened to me, but from, from my perspective, everyone's really friendly mm. and not watching the news actually helps because they'll make you think that there's so much evil in the world and people are bad, but most people in the world are actually really good. Mm. <laughs> and they, they want to have social interaction and be your friend. And I, I think also I experienced that more in these like third world countries, like people don't necessarily have these desires that the Western world creates. So I think those relationships and like experiences with people get more real. Mm. Like, how do you find Americans are regarded abroad? How do I find Americans? Um, how do people feel about us? Um, most are, are super excited to, to meet like just foreigners in general. And for instance, like Vietnam, even the older people, they love Americans. Like there's no, no resentment towards the war or any of that stuff. Like they're super excited to meet you. They'll take pictures with you. They invite you over to drink a beer. Like 
people people like Americans. Um, obviously, there's also some sort of like, hey, these people might have some money, so I'm going to be nice to them. Like a lot of people have that mentality, and you can tell who those mm-hmm. people are. But I don't know. I'm not necessarily fond of Americans when I meet them. If <laughs> if I'm like in a group or things like that, because I don't think Americans. Well, Americans in general don't travel in this manner. If they do, I would say they take a couple of weeks off and go to these resorts or things like that and just try to get drunken. <laughs> so you don't necessarily see Americans in, in the settings that I'm in. But when they're in these groups and stuff like that, any group of any nationality together <laughs> is not necessarily the best. Like they, they close themselves off a lot easier. So, mm-hmm. so how did you choose the name Winicus? Um, it's kind of like a spin on my name, my last name. And then the Ickis, I guess, is like a Roman God. So I, I like to say like the Roman God of stacking sats or just plug in whatever, <laughs> whatever action. <laughs> it's catchy. Um, so can you tell us about your relationship with Optimus Fields, um, AKA at my living truth? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's one of my boys and I met him through Bitcoin he started Bitcoin kindergarten with Nick Camine and Nico who I knew before Bitcoin was basically telling me, Hey, if you show up every Wednesday to, they used to host it on discord, just talk to these guys. Like you'll meet other Bitcoiners. Cause I wasn't necessarily interacting with other Bitcoiners before. And this was, this is in like 2020. So before that, it's just like Twitter and things like that. But even Bitcoin Twitter, I wasn't fully in there. And I showed up one week and heard the conversations that were had. And I'm like, yeah, like this is my tribe. You know, I, I found my people. I found other Bitcoiners. They're not interested in who the president is and things like that. Like right away, it clicked and I was hooked every Wednesday. I was showing up. Eventually, Nick Camine had a bigger role at Bitcoin Magazine. So I was interested, made, the, made those shirts for the conference, the ones that you have. And from there on, like Optimus and I just kind of, kind of like hit it off and we actually just hung out in El Salvador last week but oh wow it's crazy I was I was chatting with him for a a good year on the show without even meeting him like I didn't know who he was what he looked like nothing and that's this (laughs) that's the case for a lot of bitcoiners like we're just friends on twitter and then when you meet them in person you're like holy shit like (laughs) I can't believe it but it's it's crazy how we completely disregard people's like social standings in the real world like what your job is or any of this stuff like we're all just bitcoiners and we're having a good time yeah i feel like i know a lot of people i've never met pretty well (laughs) yeah and you you would consider them friends i mean i I do (laughs) yeah yeah i would really trust a lot of them um can you tell me about the format of bitcoin kindergarten like what your vision of it is well it's definitely gone through some changes so when i first showed up it used to be very educational and people would come with like PowerPoints and you would have pretty much people just like watch somebody explain a certain topic, not necessarily always Bitcoin related, but in the same like ethos. And after that presentation, they would have something called the teacher's lounge where people would just talk shit, you know, just about what's going on or, and there was, that was really why everyone was tuned in. Like they really kind of just wanted to talk to each other. And it was, it was more like a digital pleb hangout in a way. So in due time, we kind of like ditched more of the presentation, educational stuff. We try to take as much friction away as possible. 
And we realized our strengths were more like cultural, like funny meme type stuff. And we were going, like we kind of figured it out over the last few months or a year where we're like, hey, we're, we're gonna be like the fun Bitcoin podcast that doesn't necessarily talk about Bitcoin, but it gives people a good place to hang out and shoot the shit. And we, we always say like, we're gonna track the left bell curve type audience. Like if you're here to kind of learn about things in a technical manner, there's tons of other podcasts. There's all these financial gurus talking on other ones. You got like Matt O'Dell talking about privacy and Preston Pish and these dudes. And we're just like, hey, like these aren't our strong suits. You know, we're not gonna teach people about Bitcoin when we don't understand it as well as these people, but we'll teach you about having a good time and cracking jokes and things like that. So yeah. that's kind of the angle that we're, we've been going at. At the same time, you're getting more popular and you are getting some influencers. Um, you just had Gigi. I heard uh, Pierre Rochard. Um, you guys had like Eric Hayson on there, right? Um, but when you guys have the influencers on, then it's harder to like talk shit, right? Like it, it's a little bit more eggshelly because you have to, I'm not saying you, but like you have to um, be wary if, of maybe putting them in a bad position with other people in their circle. So it's like a little bit trickier, I imagine. I wouldn't know. I don't get influencers, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, whenever whenever we get like one of those known names in the space, I always go like to Optimus, like we got to ask them funny shit that they'll never hear on any other show. You know, like that's like my goal. Like I just, I want to make them laugh. Like that's really what what I'm looking for. I don't necessarily care to learn about things, but maybe from a different angle. But my whole thing is like, let's ask them questions that they would never hear on another show. So we always like just bother them about certain things or like, what's your favorite meme? Or, you know, these kinds of like simple questions that you'll never hear their answer on, on like another podcast. So that's kind of the, the goal. I, I'm not necessarily worried about asking something too crazy where they'll they'll have like pushback if if they don't want to answer i guess they're free to what i what does like kind of scare me is we have it is a q a style mm -hmm. um, podcast where audience members can come up and just talk about anything so sometimes that drives me a little crazy because number one there's people that don't know how to ask questions and they'll take 10 minutes to break down a question finally and like flatter the person which gets really annoying and I guess we're learning how to step in there or, or limit those kinds of those kinds of questions. And then there's other people that are a little bit insulting. Like we've had somebody made Pierre Rochard kind of uncomfortable, like the first few minutes into the show, which kind of like switched his vibe up for a second. Yes, so, but why somebody else was an idiot and Pierre didn't want to answer, right? Yeah, like it, it just put put them in a weird spot. So I kind of we're learning along the way and I kind of tell optimists like, Hey, let's kind of steer the conversation between each other as much as we can until the end. And then have like a Q and a portion versus just letting people come up and ask questions right away. So we're learning with time and yeah. I don't know who, who knows what other types of formats and ideas we'll have in the future. It's cool though. It makes it more unique and more spontaneous. Yeah. I, I'm always just concerned about, the listener like if somebody's going to spend an hour or two listening to the show the next day like i hope that they're getting the best content in the most concise way possible and like i try to 
I pray that they're not like listening to somebody rambling for 15 minutes. Like I, I feel bad for those, those kinds of situations that put people in. So like, I don't know, with, with time, I guess we figure out how to iron out those kinks. I think safe Dean does his spiel and then the questions come at the end. So yeah, it kind of consolidates it a little bit, but he does have one guy that goes on forever, like every episode and you're like, Oh no, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, we're, we're still like pretty small. We don't, we don't get that much activity. Like I think within Bitcoin, the Bitcoin like community, let's just call it, or like Bitcoin Twitter, people kind of recognize the name Bitcoin kindergarten, but as far as like, people that are tuning in and subscribing and downloading it's it's not like hitting any massive scale of anything so we we can mess up a lot and i don't know <laughs> i'm sure things will get better as as we as we think of it but every time we're we're always introducing these new ideas like we we added this lightning tip feature through the zebd wallet it's called like the the zbd streamer so you can like tip sats live on the show with a comment and it shows up in the middle of the screen like live stream on youtube mm -hmm. and like just in introducing that was a lot of fun and then at the end of the episode we basically like read all the comments that were done through the tips and like just these these little like segments make it make it fun and interactive for people so i'm always thinking about those kinds of stuff that's cool to be honest with you and this is like a little bit like not cool as a bitcoiner but like i haven't sent sats to anybody in years and my whole angle is I'm trying to find other ways to contribute because um, I'm worried about the whole tax implication, uh, right or wrong. So like when they ask on that first question, have you transacted in crypto? I say no, because I haven't, yeah. you know, so, um, but um, that that's, I mean, honestly, as far as a circular economy goes, which is important for me personally, that's my barrier. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're definitely like covering your tracks. Um, I'm definitely more carefree when it comes to that so i'll i'll send sats back and forth and in el salvador too like i'm not even thinking about filing like that kind of stuff with the government so yeah <laughs> or but, more um, than others. it'd be nice to have some more clarity of that stuff but i don't i don't think we're gonna we're going to anytime soon they got this new bill that senator loomis bill or whatever that looks overly complicated and there's a lot of digital asset terminology that doesn't sound too promising to me but yeah some people I mean, say there's some good things in there i'm just going to use bitcoin as i please until it gets to the point where mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter like I, I don't know i don't right. think i'm doing anything illegal but i don't know have you have you never interacted with lightning network before a little bit i have but it's been a couple yeah. years um and uh, I don't know, for me, you know, honestly, it's, it's not cool. I'm still straddling both worlds. You were talking about dipping into the savings plan and I'm not doing that either. It's just kind of like, you know, it's, it's very cold storage and I'm waiting for, for a better time, I think. But I don't know, maybe, I, I think there's different ways of doing it. Bitcoiners tend to talk about things as far as like, there's one way to do everything, but everybody's like incentives are a little bit different. Their positions are a little different. Their ages are a little different. So I think there's yeah. different ways to do it. Um, with time, my uh, investments, you know, proportionally is, you know, basically changed a lot, but I'm not really doing anything myself. <laughs> so 
in the event that Bitcoin hits like a certain moon price for you, how does that impact your life? Like what kind of decisions would you make based on the price going to a certain? Yeah. And this is something I've talked to pirate about a lot. Um, but I don't know. I'll be honest, like my lifestyle is pretty good. So I, I, I just cut down my work to three days a week and uh, I, I don't really need to work less. And so I, I suppose I would just travel more, but we honestly do a decent job of that. Not like what you do. It's not that exciting, but um, I don't know. We're, we're pretty comfortable right now. I'm afraid just as like a citizen that stuff's getting bad. And, and so Bitcoin for me is like trying to protect against like society just deteriorating. And that's more important, I guess, than just me being okay financially. Um, at some point, would I retire and claim all of my time back? Yeah, but you know, there's no need to do that anytime soon. I'm not working all that hard. My kid's just about grown up, sadly. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it, I'm not looking to like change what I do anytime soon, I guess. I think uh, that's a great answer because you're not dependent on it and you're not necessarily making future plans, but it's kind of there as a, as a safety net. That's how I see it. And I kind of love the irony too of this idea of having like wealth, but in not changing my lifestyle or things like that and kind of living like a bum in a sense. Yeah. Like I love those like people that you see that are multimillionaires or whatever and they're wearing pajamas out in public and they they're wearing like t-shirts with holes in it not not saying that i would do it but like you see this person on the street and you would never know because i don't know you you don't put importance on the whole like status and wealth kind of thing and i kind of love that whole paradox of bitcoiners having wealth and not necessarily using it for these like consumerism ideas yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're pretty heavy consumers. We're not innocent of that. Me and my wife are both physicians. We do okay. But I like the ethos and I like, I'd rather wear a hoodie than a suit. And I, I think that like suits are kind of like shit coins, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what I've been like pretty interested in, in the last year, and I think it's also because of Bitcoin and listening to a lot of these people and the whole agricultural, like farm citadel idea. Mm -hmm that's kind of in the back of my mind and like this moon plan it's like hey maybe take back control of your own food and water source and things like that like those kinds of ideas are in, are in my head and i think that would be useful but that also requires me to settle down somewhere so <laughs> definitely at odds with it at the moment but maybe you could travel between citadels yeah we've got deals with different citadels but it's really just about being sovereign and keeping control over your own rules and the quality of your life, which they, you know, they're really kind of shrinkflating away slowly. So we don't notice, but it's just about trying to grasp to maintain what quality you want. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, so how is Optimus handling the split between your show and simply Bitcoin? Uh, he, he's kind of new to simply Bitcoin. I think it's been about like a month or so, or maybe a couple months. And it's definitely occupied a lot more of his time. Uh, not in a bad way, because to be honest, we're, we don't put too, too much time into Bitcoin kindergarten. Uh, I'm sure we could be as far as like promoting it and things like that. But it's pretty low effort show. 
Um, so I, I don't know. It's he he's he's pretty good. He's he's uh he doesn't have like a fiat normie job anymore. So now he he's more free to work on simply Bitcoin and those kinds of things. Wow, Phil but too. Yeah, yeah, they're they're going all in on it. So I know it will pay off for those guys, but they understand the time that it will take. Yeah, I, I respect that. Um, it's, it's it's tough to commit to. Um, but I've listened to him. He's done a good job filling in for Phil, and uh, he's had some like rant segments that I thought were really excellent. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It was just one big rant. <laughs> Um, I saw that you tried to take a break from your Twitter addiction and that didn't go very well. Yeah. Uh, I, I realize I have the addiction and there's definitely trade-offs. Like I've met amazing people through Twitter. It, it entertains me, but I, I think I definitely spend too many hours on it. So half of the time I'm like at, at war with my phone and it's definitely occupying a lot of my, my time. But at the same time, I wouldn't have been talking to you and meeting all these people. So who knows? Like, I need to find the balance. But I realize that there is a problem. Like, I could be, I could be deploying mental capacity to definitely like other things, like reading or other types of hobbies that Twitter's taking up. <laughs> I took a break for a few weeks, and I, I got to say, I did get more done. Um, yeah, finding that balance is tricky. Um, so, so, all right, let's go deep in some Bitcoin philosophy. Um, sometimes you go to simply Bitcoin and they have these segments and they're, they're talking about like the developments, right? The, I don't know, the new releases and software releases or whatever, but where do you stand on like the exciting progress in Bitcoin development versus the need to ossify the base layer? Um, it's definitely not my expertise to have like an opinion on the development moving forward, but I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp as to not let it break pretty much. So that's pretty much the, the number one goal as far as, as far as the base layer and with lightning network and all those layers built on top of it, I, I think that's the right methodology, but yeah, pretty much don't break it. I think even if the base layer operated as is, I mean, for me, that, that would be great. So <laughs> that's what I think too. My, my concern is if they get it perfect, but there's a precedent that it can be changed, then it's not as valuable as something that's like not perfect, but can't be changed. Um, yeah. And then you get into this whole like running node philosophy and how that works. And that, that alone is just a complete paradigm shift as far as like, I would say, like a governance, you know, like it, it's kind of a, a different way to interact with a, with an organization of people abiding to a, a rule set. So the whole like node thing is, is pretty interesting to me. And that, that's like a whole nother eye opener when you're getting into Bitcoin. Cause it took me probably, I don't know, three years to run a node and I didn't I never necessarily saw the point before had it explained to me or was shown how to do it or real it, it sounds pretty intimidating and challenging at first but then and I'm still I'm still learning right so but the whole idea of running the node is the is the core of how Bitcoin works and why it's different 
I built one. Uh, Goon 34 helped me, but honestly, it, it's been a struggle for me. And I think I'm going to have to just blow it up and buy like a pre-made one. Um, I, I had trouble with some bugs in it that I couldn't get worked out. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think it's important. I want to do it. I think I've got the time to do it now, but it's, uh, I think I just need to get like a, a, a node for dummies. So I had the like dedicated Raspberry Pi where I was running. I tried already my node and Umbral and I've had issues with it too, like not being stable and, and those kinds of things. And I realized the easiest way to run a node is just downloading Bitcoin core, whether mm -hmm. it's on your own machine or like a dedicated laptop. And that is like pretty foolproof. Like if you run, if you just download Bitcoin core, you can run a prune node and it will take two to three days to basically sync. And then you just download like a Sparrow or a Spectre. And it's super simple, like to just run core with one of those wallet coordinators. And these other like, these other Umbral and MyNode, they, they provide like all these extra apps and lightning nodes and all these things on top of just like a pure Bitcoin node. Core is super simple, like bitcoin.org download. <laughs> And it's running in a couple of days. So on a laptop as opposed to the Raspberry Pi? Yeah. You can have it running on, on your own laptop right now if you have I don't know how much eight gigs of, of space. Okay. So yeah. it's that makes things really easy. And then I don't know what hardware devices you're working with, um, as far as like signing devices or hardware wallets, but the seed signer also I've been messing with that and that also completely changed the whole like cold storage experience for me um okay. so i definitely recommend using something like bitcoin core sparrow and like a seat signer okay i might hit you up for tips later for sure anytime <laughs> so it, it you deal with influencers so this could be tricky but is anybody who like appears at real visions conference now are they like a scammer I see like some uh, good people going on that and I'm like, why are you going there? Yeah. I mean, I would say I'm kind of toxic in the sense that I, I see them as that everyone has their own reasons to go up there. Maybe they think that they'll preach to an audience and convince them to be into Bitcoin, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't like with more time, I, I guess I become more toxic and <laughs> there's also influencers that you see, you notice you start following and then, you, you start seeing how they behave over time and you're like, why the hell was I listening to that person? Like, yeah. like, like a pomp or something, you know, you're, you you're listening see to it. Yeah. yeah. Right. When their ethos changes, you can see it switch. Yeah. And I'm sure there is a little bit too much, not toxicity, but like this cancel culture mentality where we're, we're pretty aggressive. Like if you're doing this, then you're a shit coiner or a scammer. And I'm kind of in that mindset. Like I, I've, I'm a victim of that. I, I've, I'm pretty purist as far as like uh, having the idealist Bitcoiners, which I tend to gravitate towards. And if you're not in that camp, I, I pretty much dismiss them, which is not necessarily the best thing, but I don't know. I think people should be held accountable and, and question their actions. So that's how I feel too. I think the Bitcoiners get into a trap where they, the quote, good Bitcoiners debate the obvious scammers too frequently. 
And I think just by debating, you're giving them a platform as a competitor. And I think that sends the wrong message. Even like Adam Back frequently will debate shit corners. And yeah. I, I think we got to just stop as a community. We won't, but I'd like to see it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if we create strong enough signal as far as why Bitcoin versus tearing down shitcoin stuff, mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be strong enough where they'll have to listen to it and, and understand the facts versus like being aggressive towards other projects. Cause th- those will never, these types of scams and kinds of pump and dump speculative things will never go away. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully people learn without having to get wrecked, but it always happens. It's weird. Huh? <laughs> it's weird how it happens. And there are some winners that, that come away from that. But yeah, I mean, just on that topic, like Bitcoin's in a bear market, sadly. And, and you, you wonder like in a clear, like inflationary crisis that Bitcoin was built for, how are we here? And I think we got to look in the mirror a little bit like um, Bitcoiners, we tend to get distracted and we're, we, we think we're smart about stuff. So like we end up focusing on like all these other issues. And I think we're failing a little bit to spread the message that the singular big problem is that the money's broken and we need to fix that. It's kind of like, was your point? And, and like all these other issues that you're worried about can be traced back to broken money. So if you fix that base problem, um, then it'll help with these other things. But I think we get distracted easily. What, what do you think? Definitely. And with, with more time and these learning experiences, you, you know how to or what to talk and not talk about because i know like i'm i'm guilty of it like talking about like oh 100k for sure this cycle and this is the floor and you know these these are learning lessons now where you should never like talk about price signals and tops and bottoms and no matter how confident you are like this taught me pretty much to expect not expect anything like like, don't be surprised and also just don't call tops or people don't pay mind to people that are like discussing price in that matter. Yeah. So that like, that was a learning experience alone, you know, even like where we are now, I'm, I'm extremely shocked, like at the price today. And uh, I don't know, like, like with, with time, there's more learning experiences. Yeah. I'm totally guilty of it. Um, just, yeah, we all are. <laughs> I got sucked into some stock to flow stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> but this pattern is like clockwork, this four-year pattern. I can't explain it, but this is the fourth time in a row it's following the same shape. It's crazy. Um, but, you know, where are those tops? It's like logarithmic. It's, it's hard to know. Um, yeah. I saw you say that you uh, – you had a buy order in at 69 K cause you wanted to buy at the top. And, and I, I listened to that and I was confused cause I figured that that only makes sense if you're trading. Cause I, I could see the, the philosophy that if it hits the top, it's likely to keep going and then you could trade out of it. But, but if that was your plan to hold it, then you'd be better off buying three times as much now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was, this was when we were hovering near the top and I put a buy order on cash app for some reason they let you put a buy order at a future price because pretty much on other platforms they would just they would just buy the the bitcoin at the price it is not like higher like it would fit 
it would fill that order book um, request or whatever. So I put it for 69420 for like the meme. And I actually like got a whole thread going of people to follow in with me. And we had like a good, I don't know, 15 people that came in and put like these 69420 buy orders. It never hit it and it eventually expired. But I always say like, I buy the top for the historical timestamp. <coughs> Sorry. Right. I buy for the historical timestamp. One uh, sec. I heard, I think it was you and Optimus, I could be wrong, saying that, that uh, kind of saying that it, you shouldn't block people on Twitter. You should just kind of have like these open debates. And uh, I, I, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I, I don't know. I block people all the time. I, I just, there's so many people out there and you, sometimes you don't have time to try to debate everybody. <laughs> Is it bad if I just block a lot of people? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I never really said that. I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't have the block philosophy. I don't really block people, but I never get into these like debates or things like that. I, I get blocked by a lot of people like shit coiners and influencers, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Everyone's free to use their account as they please. There's some uh, big picture narratives going on that I'm confused about. And one that Bitcoin has been on for a long time is like the state's hiding inflation to try to keep the money printer going. But at the same time, there's this other theory that there's this controlled demolition of supply chains in the economy. And, you know, you see like uh, food plants or trains or whatever uh, getting destroyed. And, and But that would create price inflation. So are you seeing, are you seeing those also as two different promoting promoted narratives? And have you thought about how they might seem to contradict each other and what that means? Yeah. At the end of the day, like the way I look at it is that there's these whales or these big type manipulators and with any market, they know how to drive prices down to the point where they're grabbing up everything for cheap. And I don't necessarily know what the objectives of these, let's just say like globalists are as far as the control demolition and things like that. Uh, I mean, probably it's having people more dependent on the government and stuff like that, them being in control of most of the assets. And as far as like the Bitcoin price goes, I don't know if I'm getting a little off topic, but no. I think it's a lot of it is pretty much manipulation in the short term, like what we're seeing today. <clears throat> it's to liquidate leverage traders. And you have these players like BlackRock and Vanguard and all these people, maybe they, them not directly, but people behind the scenes or they have people making these buy orders and sell orders and leverage trades. Like they're the ones basically dictating the price as well as like Bitcoin being rehypothecated by probably every single exchange. So mm -hmm. there's so much fake Bitcoin that's out there that people think that they have that they don't. So that like if people actually took self-custody, then right. I think the price would be significantly different. So Binance just had to freeze trading temporarily. All right. So do you think that like, Future freedom powered by Bitcoin is inevitable or are our children destined to grow up in dystopian hellscapes? Man, that's, that's tough. I think uh, 
I don't know if it's our children or, or multiple generations beyond that. I think humans will gravitate towards the hardest form of money. So the free market will win. But there's also the idea of like two parallel economies kind of operating and you have these based like Bitcoiners hiding behind the scenes or maybe they're treated like the Amish are and they just get left alone and have their own citadels. And Because <laughs> I don't know, if, if it attracts the wealth that that we expect it to, then it's just a matter of time of bringing in more people and the influential ones that make the big decisions. But I think it, I mean, there will be a, there will, there will be a war <laughs> against Bitcoin politically and, and culturally. Like you see it with your everyday, we're everyday. Yeah. We're seeing it. And I don't know the the whole like educational, the educational onboarding is, is pretty steep like we've put in thousands of hours i'm guessing into this so i don't know how many people have the flexibility to start understanding all these concepts and maybe it has to get to the point where they don't necessarily need to like we don't necessarily know what's happening when you flick a light switch on or or like are streaming netflix on your cell phone like people are still doing these things and they're not questioning it mm-hmm. so i don't know if Bitcoin will ever get to that point where it's the ease of use is just kind of in a sense where you don't really know you're interacting with it or don't need to understand it or like all these ideas like economic theory and stuff like that. Yeah, it's come a long way in the last decade. It seems likely that we'll have much better tools in the near future. Yeah, and they say the adoption is like pretty much happening quicker than the internet and cell phones were so. I'm, I'm definitely optimistic for the future. I don't know how it's going to play out. I know it's going to play out positively, but I don't know when it will happen. Like, it might not be in our lifetime. Who knows? <laughs> uh, the rate of change being what it is, I bet on the under. But, um, so what's a bullish story that's not yet priced in, in your opinion? a bullish story that has yet to happen you're saying what are you excited about in bitcoin that people aren't talking about huh i don't know that's a i i ask this question all the time on the podcast and <laughs> i don't i don't necessarily have an answer to it i i would say it's not necessarily in bitcoin but i would say it's in the whole like bitcoin ethos of people like i, I love the whole citadel like farm go back to like the rural ideologies of like growing your own food and this whole like circular economy and and people exchanging with one another and and not relying on these large institutions like that's that's what excites me pretty much the most about it is not relying on these huge institutions and governments so that's what (laughs) that's what i'm bullish on and you see it happening like it's really cool somebody like lc who you've you've been on his podcast i don't know how he knows so many people but he knows all these like tradesmen that are in Bitcoin. He's like, oh yeah, I bought maple syrup with this guy. And I had this guy show me this. And uh, I always hear him talk about other plebs that I've never heard of on his podcast. So I'm really excited to be plugged into a network like that. That's what, that's what I'm bullish on the network that we're building. Yeah. He's salt of the earth. Like I've heard a lot of new people <laughs> to me on his show. Um, he does a lot of that stuff. So, so on the flip side, 
what's an underrated threat against Bitcoin? Um, underrated. I mean, just the educational, the educational battle that it will take for people to understand, like, listen, this is how money works and you have to treat Bitcoin like savings. And I mean, for people to even have savings to begin with, you know, is is like a, a pretty big battle. So I think just the whole educational side of things is, is a, a battle. And what was the question? <laughs> yeah. I was just saying, what's, what's the battle that you're worried about that that's underrated? Yeah. Educational. And then, um, when you start getting into these, these areas of like UBI and like stimulus checks and stuff, like it'll just keep delaying it because people will yeah. start using, start using these like government monies just because they're getting free money for it. So, yeah, I think for me, I, I completely agree. Like my biggest concern is the last couple of years have really demonstrated that people don't really want to wake up and, and as they get more dependent on the system, that's only going to get harder. So I, I struggle with, I don't know, um, I struggle with where that might go. Um, yeah. But I think people are waking up, not necessarily to the extent that we want them to, but the tone has definitely shifted a lot as far as like people holding Bitcoin and buying it. Like people I wouldn't have imagined, not, not necessarily Bitcoiners, but they're, they're not selling either that they have their Bitcoin, whatever on exchanges, or they're asking me like, should I buy more or whatever? So the narrative has like completely changed. I mean, even for us, like I'm, I'm just thinking like stack sats, buy as much as possible. Like I, I wasn't necessarily thinking like that four or five years ago. So it's true. The uh, emotion has completely changed this time. That's cool. Um, what are you doing besides Bitcoin for your health? um i'm pretty conscious about my diet in many ways uh i don't necessarily eat unhealthy things like uh i don't drink soda or drink like too much alcohol i have a beer here and there or whatever but i don't smoke like stuff like that so those are just like baseline healthy practices and just walking like i'm actually surfing a lot now so I got into surfing in the last year and I was out there today. So that's a great, like healthy activity. I've always been into sports. So playing basketball and stuff like that. So just always having an active lifestyle and at the very minimum walking, like when you travel, you walk a lot. So I'm always walking miles and miles a day, exploring new places. And that's also where you get to listen to a lot of Bitcoin podcasts. So just even walking a couple hours a day is massive as far as like keeping the fat down. You know? Yeah. I was bad for a long time. I'm just getting back into it with my newfound time. Uh, you had a scare surfing the other day. Yeah, that was, that was the first big scare. So uh, my leash snapped on me and I didn't realize I was in a current and I actually had to get saved by lifeguards. That sounds um, scary. Definitely scary. Uh, I was trying to calm myself down out there, but it's tough when you're just like treading water for a good period of time and avoiding waves crashing on you. Oh, um, I didn't think it was going to be scary until it gets to that point. And, but it's kind of, kind of weird because I'm not necessarily discouraged or traumatized from it. Like right after it happened and I got out of the water, I'm like, all right, I just, 
you know, I'm, this is not going to stop me from going out there again. And I kind of just had short term memory with something like that. <laughs> I Dude. feel like it was avoidable. Yeah. Um, you're wired different. <laughs> um, but, but going back to your being active, that, that's something where you've prioritized time and you need time to be active. Most exactly. people just get home and they're all tired and they don't do anything. Um, I'm definitely uh, into like health also as far as like breathing techniques. I, I'm always like tinkering, you know, like fasting techniques and, you know, the carnivore diet. I'm not necessarily doing that, but I'm, I'm always interested in the like change and these health tricks, you know, the, the seed oils now is like one of them, which I'm like hyper aware of. So yeah, health is a, a big part of it for me. I mean, sadly, I'm a fiat physician and you just said more wise things about health than I do in my day to day. It's true. Um, but um. I know you're, uh, you give me a lot of time here. I appreciate it. We're almost done. Thank you. As much as you want. <laughs> um, but um, I want this podcast to focus on like individual freedom. Um, I originally called it the emancipated plebcast, but it just didn't really ring well. But um, like, so we were talking about Bitcoin being like a ideal monetary bug out, but do you have any other tips for bugging out if the shit does hit the fan? And I'm particularly interested because you have this nomadic lifestyle. So, so I wonder how bugging out as a nomads like different or enhanced. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily have like the best plan as far as doomsday, but I do realize when I'm traveling that the world is pretty big. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of places you can hide if you can actually get to them. Like some, some rural areas, like I don't, I don't see how, like you'll be disturbed over there. So I don't know, just, just keep moving until you find a safe place is pretty much my bug out. And then like, uh, I have family that has a farm here in Costa Rica. So worst case, if it's like safe over here, I would, I would definitely utilize the space and like cattle that they have there. Like that's in the back of my mind, but I really hope it never gets to these, <laughs> these positions where, I don't know. I have to make these, these decisions, but as far as like Bitcoin goes, that's, that's the baseline. So. Yeah. I hope not too, but yeah. What about you? Um, I, I've gotten some good tips from different people. Um, I, you know, I don't, uh, I've got a lot of stuff in one place, <laughs> but, but like your, your wealth can go with you. Um, and I was talking to my last, um, my last interview I think was John Schaff and he's like a military guy. And he was saying about how you can't just plan on one scenario. You've got to plan on like different, uh, different scenarios and have a different plan for different scenarios. Um, but um, I mean, I'm very basic. I've got a, some packs that can go and you could sustain for a, a little while, but I was wondering if somebody like you, who's pretty portable um, might have an advantage. Yeah. Um, I think my advantage is not having stuff <laughs> so I can pretty much move whenever. That is an advantage. I, yeah. I, I do think about like family and things like that. And I don't know if Bitcoin makes us ultra paranoid because it, it's definitely changed the way I inter interact with people. Like now I'm like scared to tell people my name, you know, like that's never happened with Bitcoin or, you know, give out information online or stuff like that. And 
I, I don't know. I, like you, you see things on Twitter that people are paranoid about and it's like, oh, you should be buying a whole cow and put it in a freezer. And I'm like, maybe that's not a bad idea. So then I suggest these things to like my family to do. And they're like, like, yeah, we're not doing that. You know, <laughs> like we're not buying a freezer and a whole cow and storing it. So I try to like give the suggestion suggestions and at least I know what people are doing. And hopefully when the time comes, like if that has to be done, it could be. Yeah. I mean, I'm a lot more stock than I used to be. And just with inflation, I find myself just trading fiat for stuff more that'll keep. That's been a change. Um, there's a difference between like, there's like local unrest and you're fleeing to like the woods or a small town and your country's gone to hell and you've got to get out of the country. I mean, there's, there's all different levels to that. Um, I got into firearms last year. That's something I never thought I would do. Never crossed my mind. Um, but, um, you know, I went pretty heavy down that rabbit hole. Um, I hope it doesn't come to it, but the last couple of years, you're like, well, I didn't think that that could happen. Yeah. So who knows what the future holds? It's, it's crazy. I would say also that I'm starting to get prepared as far as learning the proper skills when it comes to like gardening or farming or things like that. Like, yeah, it, it kind of keeps going back to that. And mm -hmm. I guess it is like a calling, but whenever I'm on this farm, I feel completely useless. And I feel like I've wasted most of my life not learning anything practical. And you have these, these farmers there that are, you know, just building fences and they know what plants to pick out and which are weeds and which, you know, like, I don't know any of these things. They, they can build houses, they can fish, they can shoot guns. And like, I know how to work behind the computer, you know, what's that going to do for me and when the time comes. So real skills, these real skills. Yeah. I was talking to LC about how real skills and like real labor aren't properly rewarded. And, and hopefully in a Bitcoin economy, they'll be better recognized as being valuable. So those real, real skills would, in theory, translate better in a, in a Bitcoin economy. Yeah. Right now, you're almost penal like the harder you work, the more you're penalized. <laughs> it's the people that uh, trade their time that are getting taxed the most in different ways. And it's, it's the rent, you know, it's the uh, rent seekers that are being rewarded by the system. So the system's pushing the workers down and, and kind of the, the rent seekers up. And I think Bitcoin changes that dynamic. It's crazy. I, I do think about that too. And I, I, I look at people that have unfavorable type jobs and part of me feels bad. And then I see like, for instance, these guys working on the fields and they're chopping like plants all day and trees and doing all this stuff and like they're doing work that nobody else wants to do yet they're getting paid way worse than everyone else like how does how does that work from a supply demand perspective you know yeah that assumes that like a free market and and i think bitcoin brings that back more in all different yeah. sectors i think i mean i think we need it in medicine too um i just signed up today for a free market doctor um, and it's one of these concierge doctors that you pay X amount per year to have access to or whatever. And honestly, I'm a pretty healthy guy. Like I don't need it, but I want to support it. And, and so that's, I mean, it's, I don't know. We need more of the free market everywhere. Um, so, so as we wrap up, like who are some of your favorite, like underfollowed Bitcoiners? Oh man. I mean, I, I'm in the meme circle, so those are the those are the only people that uh 
that come to mind when it comes to Twitter because I'm pretty much only on there to to get laughs and to have a good time. So the people that come to my mind are, I don't know, like Labrahoddle and Marty Zhao and Sat Yoshi and like all these guys from the Meme Tards and Meme Factory. Like there's there's so many good accounts that make these clever memes that uh, <laughs> that's what I look for on Twitter. I'm I'm not necessarily plugged into like technical alpha or any of that stuff you said a couple of times that you like to get laughs but you're one of the more philosophical bitcoiners i've come across yeah like bitcoin makes you philosophical when you're discussing it at like how it can change humanity and things like that but when you get to know me like it's all jokes and <laughs> and trolls <laughs> um what other topics did i fail to ask you about that you think you want to talk about man not necessarily anything uh i mean i think this was like geared a lot towards me and i i definitely shared a lot i I don't know if i learned as much about you so uh yeah i mean i'm sure we'll we'll chat more in the future (laughs) that'd be awesome man i really appreciate you joining me and uh i'm a big fan of you and and, uh, optimus and uh, I look forward to seeing what you guys are doing. Um, but, but thanks for giving me so much time. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, this was awesome. Thank you. Um, and hopefully I'll have this up tomorrow. Because I don't do a lot cool. of editing except for when yeah. my feed dies because I didn't pay the bill. <laughs> yeah, I put a little extra work for you to coughing and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, safe travels, man. Keep in touch, okay? For sure. And anything you need as far as like travel recommendations or anything like that if if i've been to these places or if you want to take a few months off or whatever and have a plan i can try to help and uh yeah we should definitely keep in touch all right yeah i'd like that i i'm gonna try to take you up on that with some some of my new freedom (laughs) but i happen uh, to be in miami and i'm there then let me know yeah well i want to get down there and see phil and nico sometime um for sure when they say yeah we can show you around Awesome, man. By the way, can I ask you what your like ethnic background is? Yeah, um, I'm half Japanese um, and half like, I, I think English Hungarian. Um, well, I guess a quarter of each, right? Um, but uh, my dad was in the Navy and uh, he, he was stationed in Japan. He met my mom. She was like driving a truck on the base in, in Japan. So they came back here together. That's awesome. So I'm kind of a mutt. And then I married an Iranian lady and then our daughter's even more of a mutt. <laughs> wow, that's nuts. So you speak Japanese? No, man, I, I grew up in the Buffalo area and I never really went anywhere. So I'm kind of horribly undercultured. But um, I was there once when I was 12. Um, yeah. And I'd like to go back. Um, Japan's a cool place, I agree. And I like yeah. the food too. Um, yeah, spent, you're much better traveled than me. <laughs> I spent two months there and I got around through like hitchhiking and couch surfing which i don't know if you've heard of but basically like people open up their homes for travelers and it's like this community where they they expect to be like hosted if they're you know if they ever cut cross paths with you or other couch surfers so i was basically staying in like people's houses and hitchhiking and i'm still in touch with a lot of these people and i've been i've been definitely wanting to go back and i was i also got to see like parts of japan that that most people that visit don't see because I, I like I'm more attracted to the rural like small town areas and not necessarily like Tokyo or those huge cities 
and yeah, it was awesome. I, I, like I'm dying to go back. It hasn't opened yet. My mom was born on a little island called Oshima, like off the Bay of Tokyo, and it's a uh, it's like a national park now, so it's really pretty. Um, oh, nice. But um, yeah, you're you're a much more bold human being <laughs> than me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, every time I was in Japan, and I'll tell people where I where I've been in Japan, they're like, you know more Japan than than I do, and I'm from here, so. <laughs> Uh, I believe it. Um, but, um, but, but thank you, Winicus. And uh, yeah, please do keep in touch. For sure. That, it was great. <laughs> All right. And also great to get to know you. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Awesome. All right. All right. You take care. All right. See you on the Twitter webs. <laughs>